Welcome, everyone, to Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type, and then we report back the results to each other and you fine listeners. My name is Aaron Spears. And I'm Mike Went. This episode's challenge is prestige horror. Prestige. I feel like I should wear my bow tie or top hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think we mentioned at the end of the last episode when we announced this topic that, like, I think even I said it, like, oh, these are all going to be modern films recent picks because this to me was like um i can't remember if you said on the air or not mike but it was like kind of the the a24 and the neons yeah yeah it it was i think that the term was coined uh in the mid 2010s or so okay but i kind of went for for the things that we're going to be talking about i went in the complete opposite direction uh but i I think ones that would have been lumped into that that group if if they were released today is kind of how i you know the mode i went but i would say probably starting with uh the witch um which Mm -hmm. uh, came up by robert eggers and then also ari oster um by you know with him having hereditary yeah uh, midsommar and everything you know those are the ones that are kind of considered this new genre you know, you can also throw in some uh, of uh, Jordan Peele stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. I found an article like David Bordwell's a critic. I, I enjoy um, he has it's it's a currently used blog, but it looks like a blog from like the 2010s, <laughs> 2000s, I guess. Sure. Uh, but he, he and his wife, Kristen Thompson, kind of like share blogging duties uh, also because they're both professional film critics and authors and scholars. And she wrote up something um about this and it was those are literally the three people that she mentioned um in the article i think she also had alex garland in there oh yes well, yes yeah, yeah it, it it stuck uh very much as like kind of a modern thing but then as i was digging into the terminology because i when i was first kind of google searching around for it i was, I was like what the fuck did we title that i can't remember what it was and i remembered i can't i like i what did i th- Art house horror was what I was like. So art house horror, I was looking up that first, yeah. and then that got me. There's a Wikipedia entry actually for that that started off my my rabbit hole of going into that, also known as elevated horror, yeah, um, and prestige horror here as well. Um, but and, and Kristen points out, I don't know where I Miss Thompson uh, uh, pointed <laughs> out that it almost kind of sounds like a derogatory word if you call it like elevated horror. Yeah. Meaning that like the rest of it isn't that good or like only these are like the good ones, which I don't know. There is a little bit of truth to that because there's some garbage horror out there, but there's also yeah. garbage comedy. There's also garbage drop. Like it's kind of any genre is going to be have its, its terrible entries into it. Um, but I, I like that we settled on the prestige horror because I think it, it applies a broader scope than just art horror, art house horror, because art house yeah. horror has only been around for so long. And once I kind of got into that, it kind of broke open a lot more options than just like the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I guess, you know, we were, before we started record, we're talking a little bit about um, some of like the mainstream horror, of course, you know, the Friday the 13th, the nightmare on Elm street, those, you know, I think when most people think horror, that's, that's what immediately you're drawn mm-hmm. to Michael Myers and everything. Of course. Uh, Child's play, Chucky, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these ones are ones that, that, you know, for some of them, some of our most esteemed filmmakers, I think, have dabbled into this where it's it is still all the conventions of a horror movie of those mainstream ones. But they're 
there's a lot more of the just such nuanced in the filmmaking and you know that the um you know a lot of times great cinematography great sound and excellent performances i yeah. think um that really uh show that the horror genre is not just something that you you just fuck around and, and make right you know, some people really put care into the crafting of these and that's why i think some of those some of these films that I think, you know, I'm going to talk about um, that, you know, people come back to every mm-hmm. October or, you know, and beyond. It's interesting to you because like the iconic ones you were just mentioning there when you think of like, uh, hey, culture, picture, you know, a horror movie. And like you said, like the Freddy's, Jason's, Michael Myers, uh, the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacres, uh, that sort of yeah. stuff. You think of the iconic villains and or, well, no, not and killers (laughs) they're all killers in that case and with a lot of the prestige horror uh you know i've seen all the titles that you were just mentioning from ari aster to to alex garland all that stuff i i'm hard-pressed to be like oh the killer is this person like they're not trying to establish some new character yeah that's like the you know the franchise killer because i don't think franchising is in mind it's it's what's a great psychological fuck with your head yeah. more philosophical horror, or even like the case like you mentioned the witch kind of kicking it off is it was even billed as like a folk horror which is again is another you know even more subgenre yeah. sub subgenre there too but it's more about the ringer that the characters are put through than it is i need to create the next great movie villain kind of thing yeah which i realized was not necessarily the intent when they were making the first friday the 13th or whatever but in some of those cases they were yeah no it seems like uh, there is one of the the things with these modern horror films is a lot of times that it is a female protagonist and True. you know, that they're, you know, they're put through such an emotional, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, thinking of hereditary, um, Tony Collette. Oh, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, like otherworldly in that performance. Yeah. Um, you know, Florence Pugh in Midsommar, like, mm-hmm has to go to some really weird and dark places in that movie. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it's very interesting that, uh, that these different filmmakers are, are trying these, these things that just, you know, where maybe I think there was a time period after the, the heyday of the horror movies of the eighties, mm-hmm. like nineties, there were still horror movies coming out, but they were just kind of, I don't know. It's like they were in a theater and then they were done and, you know, then they lived on cable and probably yeah. played on USA and TBS every, you know. And you still had some right. functioning video stores around that you were like, you really wanted to get out in theaters. So everybody would go and rent it, you know, later yeah. on. Or, well, then also the 90s too, you move into Scream territory. Yes. Like, it fractures to me where it's like, it's all self-referential and like everybody knows what horror movies are. Or you have the turn at the end of the 90s with Blair Witch and found footage horror. Yes. Well. Yeah. So it, like, Maybe that like time period between like ninety and ninety five, where yeah. like uh, there was some. It wasn't like maybe horror wasn't as strong uh, right. as it was in the eighties. But then, yeah, you're right. Like with Scream, yeah. I mean, that just kind of took it into a different stratosphere. <laughs> yeah, there, there's an element too where because I, I, it really got stuck in my head to this idea of like a prestige horror, elevated horror, and I was like, I think maybe that concept came about because if you think what the horror landscape was in like the 2000s 2010s it's it's a lot of like the saw and the torture porn stuff coming out 
And so th- that's there for like, you know, the kind of the, the gore hounds and some of the sadists in the crowd that really want to go see that sort yeah. of stuff. But you get prestige horror when it's like, well, we're not focusing on just like the gore and the uh, the torturing of the of the main characters, even though, like you said, Tony Collette is emotionally tortured <laughs> and hereditary yeah. like no other. Um, but it's a different kind of that there where it, it, that I think that separates it from kind of the the masochism um, and the the sadism of like human centipede and saw and hostile well now we have something else where we want to hint that it's more psychological so that folks that don't want that one thing but are interested in this other thing are like okay we're going to go watch the prestige horror now then instead yeah <laughs> and it's like i don't know your anxiety is just as up there as mine was for any of those so oh um, yeah poison yeah. that's fine but yeah the fact that um you know kind of going back to what we were saying about uh these these companies, these indie companies like a 24 and neon. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, I don't know. Sometimes these movies I think are, they're produced and uh, curated through those companies where they, they make them, but sometimes they're also just acquiring these, but they clearly, they clearly have a, a vision and a taste in these type of things. And I think that's why, you know, so many people are excited when they see, something that is scary and it has, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, when did it become a thing where, you know, when I see like a Paramount logo, I'm like, Oh man, here's, it's going to be like the next, uh, you know, something it's just so, I mean, that could be like a whole different topic of the fact that like these, these companies are sometimes almost overshadowing what the movie is. Um, and everything it, it's just a very oh yeah thing you know because a lot of times with with a24 i think the marketing can sometimes be more exciting than the actual movie that that you end up seeing yeah uh, but there's a hype around it there's young people when they see that i think they they're expecting something pretty special you're right you're right it's the way like um i was trying to think for some reason the first thing that came to mind when you're mentioning you see that logo like when you see the canon video logo pop up you're like oh, oh i know yeah. what i'm in for <laughs> yes yes um but yeah a24 is the same way actually uh that's gonna come up on my list i believe um uh, yeah <laughs> well yeah. <laughs> a funny thing is it, you know and i know a lot of times we reference on podcasts we we talk about um our beloved cinematech but uh the other day there was something I was seeing and um, John Ewing, the the uh, uh, director of the Cinematheque, was telling us that there was a movie playing after from A24. And he said, eh, for some of you in the audience, that will mean a lot more to others. Uh, like, <laughs> I was laughing. Like, I mean, he was just basically kind of saying like, OK, you know, here it is. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> but oh, but I get, what he's, I get what he's saying but yeah but it's like there are times when I uh when I talk especially now that it, like even though I'm you know I still feel very young but like in the film industry here but like now that I'm in my 40s when I talk to like up-and-coming people when they ask yeah. me about, like what I've seen lately that's what they they talk about most is yeah. a24 in neon releases you know which is I mean, honestly, it's a great thing to have, though, because you have um, the core group coming up that are like the the, the newer film nerds. Um, I think yeah. you, you don't get that until you're in your 20s. In your teens, you're just a fan and you're taking everything in. But if you're going to stick with it, you'll be sticking with it in your 20s. And the yes. fact that they have that kind of allegiance where like that'll get you to the theater. Yeah. 
that I mean, it just kind of no matter what they're putting out. Um, I guess before we dive into it too, we should also mention like as A24 has clearly carved out that space in the in the consuming public for the movies there. It's also the studio that um, or the distributor that put out, you know, like Uncut Gems, Lady Bird, Moonlight. Yeah. The Whale recently too. Um, so it, it is varied, but it is really interesting that when you see like a certain like sound cue and that the, the new version of an A24 logo in a trailer, you're like, oh, okay, we got some interesting horror coming our way. Um, yeah, you know right away um, how they do it. So, well, yeah. and now the fact that they're they're be also becoming like a repertory uh, releaser, like mm-hmm. with the stop making sense, uh, you know, four K. Oh, that was them. Like, yeah. So nice. it's, it's okay. almost just like, damn, they're gonna be, yeah, they they're they're gonna be living off that that stuff for a while. So yeah, yeah they're not going <laughs> away anyway anytime soon. <laughs> But I mean, that's uh, that's good. It's what we need to keep uh, interest going in the theatrical experience. As uh, exactly, you know, and, and they seem like out. movie junkies. I, I think the yeah, people yeah. there. I mean, I don't. You know, you don't really see a lot of interviews with those people, but you know, they just seem like they really do care about what product they put out. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Always good to see. So, yeah. Uh, should we jump in with some honorable mentions? You have. I think we can kind of explore the genre we're talking about here as yeah. we go. If you want? Absolutely. You want to kick us off? Yeah, so uh, the first one uh, I'm gonna talk about uh, came out in 2007, and uh, this was released, uh, you know, probably by or, or this was you know one of those. It was an up and coming company at the time, like Rose, Roadside Attractions. But uh, oh yeah, uh, this is uh, a movie called Teeth. Um, have, you, oh. do you remember this one? I we played it when I was at the art house. Um, yes, I yes. did not fully watch it, but it became pretty infamous right away. Yes, so uh, Teeth is uh, basically about a young woman. Um, you know, she is a uh, kind of mild mannered. Uh, at one point, she is. Um, you know, there's a rape attempt on her, and um, eventually she discovers that she has this ability uh, <laughs> uh, where when this person is uh, trying to uh, force himself upon her, that she has teeth in her vagina. Uh, so well, or, stop uh, that pretty quickly. Yes. But <laughs> vagina dentata as it's called in the film. Um, this was one that, yeah, I did see at the art house and I immediately kind of fell for the movie. Um, I just thought it was so wild and, and out of it, you know, just out of like something that I hadn't seen before. Sure. And it was one of those things where I bought the DVD and I kept telling people like, have you seen teeth yet? Have you seen teeth yet? So I was, you know, I passed it around to like so many different people. I think yeah. I still have it, but I, I could, it could still be with somebody that I let watch. Um, down the line. But uh, the thing about teeth is that I think it was, it was a social commentary mm-hmm. uh, basically on, on how women are sometimes treated in society in this modern age. But also there was, there was like a dark, there was a dark comedy to it um, that really elevated it to this kind of prestige level um, that, that I think, um, you know, multiple viewings of it, uh, it gets better upon different watches, I think. Okay. And the, I, you know, I really have to highlight the the lead actress Jess uh, 
Weixler or Wexler. Um, you know, she, she still gets roles sometimes. I haven't seen her much. Um, but you know, it looks like, yeah, she's still doing certain things, but, um, I mean this, she did an outstanding job in this movie and, um, you know, it, it's one of those ones that I think, yeah, it's like, you don't really hear it much anymore and it doesn't, doesn't really get talked. I I think we discussed on one of the previous episodes not too long ago that there was like movies in that mid 2000s to yeah. whatever genre it seemed kind of lost in in certain ways uh but like this one I think is is just it, it, you know it it is the definition of that you know prestige, prestige horror, horror. It's very unique yeah I remember from the trailer I think I'm thinking of the right movie there was also like a was there commentary on like an an abstinence group or was she like part of a church group that was doing purity promise sort of stuff too. So like it's even working in some more social commentary. um, Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like even just the thought of, of pleasuring herself at some Mm -hmm. point, you know, is, is kind of looked, looked down upon. And um, you know, so it's almost about this sexual awakening. Yeah. Uh, But then like she really can, she controls, um, the urges and everything like, you know, so okay. she has all the power and oh, okay. uh, a lot of times the men um, are not, uh, are not looked in the, the best of light in this movie. Uh, <laughs> well, it's when, but, it sounds like they're, uh, you know, when you're, when you're a rapist, like I'm, that's, you could portray them as a monster. That's fine. <laughs> like, yes. Yes. Very deserving. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's quite, uh, it's quite good. Um, and yeah. uh, you know, very, very memorable. And, it actually makes me want to watch it again. Pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> I have to bump that up actually, or at least I'm sorry. I will have to put that on my watch list. Cause I had forgotten about that other than like it played at the art house for a while. And people came out like, Oh God, you got to see it. But yeah. it's me, the way people were commenting on it was more like, Oh, it's got an interesting horror hook to it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. the way you're describing it makes it sound like, Oh, but there's actually something there as well. It's not just like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, some awful, like, you know, throwaway thing, like, ah, there's a hook and then it kind of fizzles out or whatever. So, right. Nice. <laughs> well, when you, you mentioned, uh, not being current with it, I, I was picturing you going back a little farther than 2007, which you might be with other picks coming our way, but oh, yeah. I, I'm going to yes. okay, <laughs> start off with my earliest one then, because it's when I had just watched and I, I wasn't going to include it at first, but as I was diving in, like I said, with looking at what, what different critics and lists were out there for art horror uh, prestige horror and elevated horror. There were stuff they were like, they were going back to like that da- da- uh, cabinet of Dr. Caligari and stuff like, wow. you know, yeah. focusing on psychology and mood over like shock of the image. So this one may or may not be a little bit of a cheat in that regards, because I don't, the way this might be a cheat is that I don't think horror was an step. I know for a fact, horror was not an established genre in 1922, but I just watched the movie Hexen. Oh yeah. Witchcraft through the ages, which is from director Benjamin uh, Christensen. Uh, It's spectacular. It's, it's a silent film, 1922. So it's listed as silent horror, but I don't really think horror was defined the way that we uh, define it nowadays. But man, I, I was doing it as part of like an October watch challenge thing. And, you know, I had to watch a silent film. So I was like, Oh, I've never watched that one. So I threw it on and I had every intention of like, kind of, flipping through this book I had from the library, uh, comics, whatever. And I quickly was like, 
oh, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's divided up into multiple parts. uh, What's my notes say? Seven parts. And it's almost none of these terms are what they actually use in the movie. It's a 1922 movie. It's 101 years old. They did not have PowerPoints back then, but it has almost like a PowerPoint structure of Mm. I'm going to go through witchcraft through the ages and show you this stuff. And it's presented as like, here's some found images and there's like little puppet stuff going on. And there's this really interesting mix of like uh, still photography, some early stop motion animation. And then also it with uh, inner titles that explain what you're seeing and what they're talking about. Um, So it's kind of almost like a, a multimedia dissertation kind of approach to it. Yeah. And then you slowly realize it as it, as it mixes in recreations, I'll put in quotes, but really it's like, here's footage of the blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, there wasn't motion picture cameras back in, you know, 11, 20, <laughs> yeah. 18, or whatever, whatever century we're talking about. So it's kind of cool, but like it, it's so slowly like unfolds with that stuff that you kind of just don't even worry about it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a early like mock, documentary although again that word wasn't being used in 1922 um maybe like essay film kind of vibe to it that it just it had me from from the jump um it's not that long i think i watched a restored version on canopy maybe like 80 minutes or something like that um the only complaint i would have not even a complaint but like some of the music that's on it and i don't know what the decision was to include the music they did to it was like it was fine but i would have i would want something a bit more atmospheric i think you could do like an awesome like redone like synth score to get an interesting mood going on it but um i rather than just like jumping through the hoop of a october watch challenge of i gotta watch one silent horror movie i was like i am completely riveted by this this movie (laughs) this really really fascinating i i watched that recently uh you know within the last six months and i thought some of the imagery of that movie is so disturbing yeah yeah frightening um you know, the fact that they were able to pull that off so long ago. Um, I don't know. It, it just, I actually, I think I almost had like a little dream or nightmare about it where it's like, you know, discovering like an old reel of it or something. And just, oh, nice. Yeah. Those images like, oh, oh my, my God. God. Yeah. 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 There's some like, uh, I think it's a bird at the stake scene where I was like, I, there's movement. In, uh, I don't know how they, like when you're watching a 101 year old movie and you're like, I don't know how they did that. That's really fascinating to me. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Oof. No, that it's, I'm going to go back to that one a few more times. I'm going to even maybe like do my own DJ in the living room of like, let's try the Mandy soundtrack to this part of the movie <laughs> yeah. or whatever, you know, and uh, have some fun with it as a remix style. But it's, yeah, no, the imagery is great. And like I said, when you can um, kind of make someone go, how did you do that when it's that old? But then also it's kind of fascinating because it shows beyond just like oh the salem witch trials or the inquisition like it goes deeper into and i have no idea what it's really based on if they just made it all up for the movie or if they were digging into some you know old texts or something like that but it it's interesting to just see the role of um anything that isn't mainstream culturally accepted religion in a society and then how uh those ideas are treated so yeah. it says witchcraft through the ages <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was really sorry. I'm, I mean, obviously, it's a classic, and sometimes they're a classic for a reason. And I just finally caught up with this one. Yeah. Um. So my other one is uh one that you know I I swear I had I had seen it, but you know I finally watched the whole thing for this particular episode, uh, which is John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. Ooh. Um. So. 
this one is kind of a take on HP HP Lovecraft, uh, where I almost actually uh, a, a very close call in one of my picks was going to be From Beyond, which uh, was a really kind of fascinating movie that um, that our 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 good friend Dave played in one of the uh, Twelve Hours of Terror. Um, but uh, this one is about um, um, Sam Neill's in it, and uh, spoiler alert: Sam Neill shows up uh, once more in my other pick. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he just like Sam Neill, perfect for elevated horror I'm, <laughs> or prestige horror. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, so this one, you know, he plays this insurance investigator. They're trying to find this um, this author who's who's like kind of gone missing, and also like his the latest book. So imagine like a Stephen King type author. Um, but you know, when people like rabid fans of these of these books. And so sometimes the, uh, the, when people read the books, the, their illusions of, of reality kind of start to mix, uh, mix around. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so there's like, like I said, the very rabid fans. So, uh, Sam Neill, uh, goes to this, learns that, uh, you know, he thinks the author is going to be in this, this small town in New Hampshire, and uh, goes with another, you know, a, a woman who works for the book, and you know, all the 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 lines of reality are really starting to blur. And there's, you know, of course, with John Carpenter, um, there is just some really well executed scenes. There, there's one scene in particular towards the beginning of the film, uh, because, well, I guess to spoil it slightly, but it's like Sam Neill's character is locked up in this insane and basically, you know, in a, a padded room. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of going back and forth, you know, you're in the present where he's in this uh, padded room, but then you're also seeing how he ended up there. But there's a scene where he's talking to another colleague of his and this man, like kind of comes out of nowhere with an ax and like smashes the window as they're having this breakfast and uh i mean it's it's very frightening you know but yeah yeah asking, do you read stutter kane you know <laughs> um which is the the author that they're trying to find um great name yes yes no i mean it's uh the it, it's such like uh the way how it unfolds every you know how everything kind of unfolds especially towards the end where you get this scene where um sam neil's character is watching a movie of what has just happened with him. Um, and he, he does this, he's like laughing hysterically. I mean, it's, it's often use it as an internet meme, uh, of like Sam Neill with a big bucket of popcorn smiling at a, Oh yeah. Yeah. And a movie screen. But, um, boy, Sam Neill really lets it rip in this movie. And, uh, you know, John Carpenter had such a great seventies and eighties that, I think sometimes his movies from the nineties are sometimes overlooked uh, or right. sometimes, yeah. Like sometimes they're not as given as much love and especially some of the other stuff he made like vampires or whatever, um, which maybe that's not as, as good. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but this one is just, I think it shows the strengths of him as a filmmaker, almost using a lot of the stuff that he uh, made to, to, um, 
for they live, you know, where it's like, you're not really sure what's reality. What's what's yeah. not. Um, and uh, so, yeah, this one was, uh, it was really cool to, to finally watch the whole thing. And it, it really flies by. It's like 90 minutes, but it's so smart. And I, I love the way it's shot. Uh, yeah. It's uh, and it, uh, the one thing I found interesting is that, the now the head of MGM Studios, uh, Michael DeLuca is his name, was the writer of this film. Um, so he's, I think he he wrote a few more things, but he's now like mainly an executive uh, for MGM, and I think he was for Warner Brothers as well. So, so yeah, I I would I highly suggest uh, In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, he started off at. Um... I wonder if he started off, but he was around New Line when uh, yes. Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff were coming out and uh, the house that Freddie built and all that. He was around. I don't know if yeah. he started the franchise, but he was definitely around New Line. Um, yeah. there too. I saw In the Mouth of Madness because, obviously not in theaters, but being their kid at the right age when Jurassic Park came out, of course, Sam Neill was my new favorite actor of all time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I still remember at the video store, like the cover of the box. I was like, oh, it's that Sam Neill movie. <laughs> and I just grabbed it because it was that. And my parents were like, fine, whatever. And uh, yeah. I was like, what? And I think I maybe had read like one part of one Stephen King novel by that point. But that that sent me on an interesting horror trajectory in high school of like, I got to read some Stephen King now. I need to get out there and watch. Um, I think Event Horizon was a few years oh, later. Oh, yeah. Yep. Still another yeah. Sam Neill, you know, kind of yeah. space horror. Um, yeah. So, sorry, that I hope one, that's yeah. That one has a lot of like just speaking of like striking creepy imagery that one has a lot in that movie maybe that one does i know it's a paul ws anderson movie and all that and he's got his own you know uh career since since event horizon but that's also uh lawrence fishburne and sam neill like yeah that's a that's a great one-two punch of a cast for your space horror movie that's yeah i think that 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 was peak uh Paul W S Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, he's still but... he's still searching. <laughs> yeah. Uh what else do you got? Uh my last honorable mention, and I, I, I'm going to watch it again this holiday season, this Halloween season. I watched it twice at the art house when it came out, uh, because we played it there, and then I bought the Blu-ray as soon as it was available. But it's just one of those movies that it's 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 a process to watch this movie and you need to block off some time because it fucked with my head so much when I saw it that it's not one of those like, Oh, I want that feeling again. Like you're not, <laughs> you know, me going back to it. Um, it's a 2017 Darren Aronofsky movie, mother. Ah, yes. Or mother. Cause it has an exclamation. Point at the end of it. <laughs> um, starring Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem uh, as a couple. Uh, and then also you got some Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer, and uh, and Kristen Wiig pops up at some point. It's a crazy cast, which is uh, they're all wildly talented. So they're clearly attracted to this yes. material or the director for some reason. Uh, this is a written and directed by Aronofsky uh, production here. But the character names are interesting and the capitalization, I think, means something. So Jennifer Lawrence plays mother, lowercase m. <laughs> Javier Bardem plays him, capital H. Ed Harris plays man, lowercase m. And Michelle Pfeiffer <laughs> plays woman, lowercase w. I couldn't really tell you what this movie is about on like a metaphorical level, but yeah, it's one where I was like, if, if I can't get a new David Lynch feature film in 2017, which I don't believe that was an option, 
um, with his filmography. Uh, I'm so glad we got this movie because it, it just yeah. it felt very Lynchian, but like it also had all these other kind of interesting horror elements that Lynch doesn't actually really usually include at all. Like there's some very visceral scenes where you're going to probably your stomach's going to turn a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty out there, but it to me was always like, I remember watching it going like, God, this feels like a fever dream. Like you, you watch it and I couldn't really articulate it other than like, yeah, it's like his husband and wife character. He's a poet. Um, I think he has writer's block at the time and they allow Ed Harris who knocks on their door. It's a house in the middle of nowhere. Like there's no other houses around it. You don't see a city. You don't see an establishing shot telling you it's, oh, it's in the, you know, the backwoods of Maine or anything like that. It's just a house. Um, yeah. The stranger shows up and then it gets more and more weird. Um, one scene to the next or even just one moment to the next walking through a doorway could be a jump in time that we're like, oh, wait, I, oh, I guess it's been like months now. What's <laughs> what's going on? Um, it doesn't give you a lot to grab onto and it moves at such a quick pace, which is saying something for a two hour movie that I was always just like, I didn't really have time to breathe or time to figure it all out. And then it just rolls up into this just completely off the rails. And I think the best way possible kind of climactic scene where yeah. it's just go, go, go. You just, you do, it's a breakneck pace. Um, and then it's done. It's clearly all like metaphorical stuff, you know, Mother Earth. There's like some biblical stuff in there because there could be Garden of Eden things with, yeah. um, you know, uh, the the mother, the him, her, like all the stuff in there. Um, people hated this movie walking yes. out of it when it was played. Oh, in the yes. uh, there are definitely some dividing lines. Um, I cannot imagine anybody coming to see it at like a 2 p.m. showing of it like it did great business during like the late round because it's it's very much a cult i think cult um horror movie yeah uh, and that's just not something you want to watch on like saturday afternoon at two and then go get some food with whoever you're with and <laughs> have a normal day after that it's it's kind of a psychological freaky out kind of movie um that like i said it's kind of exhausting to watch um and you have to be in the mood for it and uh i'm i'm, I'm in the mood for it this season i'm gonna i'm gonna go back and watch it again yeah that that was it was one of my favorite movies that came out that year hey. uh, but i i definitely had some thoughtful conversations with people who absolutely hated yeah like with capital h hated that movie um and uh yeah i mean i it's it's interesting because like whenever he brings out a movie it, like the last couple movies, even the whale, the whale also had yeah. very wildly divisive um, thoughts about it. And uh, I know, like earlier this year, I know uh, pie was like a 24 put out yeah. a new cut of pie. And that, that one also is like one that like you either gonna, I think you're, you, there's really no in between with that one. It's like either you don't really like it or, you know, you know, you absolutely love it. And I think that's a, good point because even requiem for a dream that puts the audience through the ringer i still remember yeah. the seat i was in at the uh the bexley theater down in columbus ohio when i first watched that one um maybe black swan or the wrestler are the only two maybe that are like universe like even if you're not a huge fan you're like it's a it's a good movie yeah oh yeah yeah but well, like I, yeah he, he kind of specializes in divisive entertainment yeah i mean i i think black swan i i remember 
Uh, when I worked at the mo- the movie theater I worked at, there were sometimes people were asking for refunds. They were, you know, like they okay. were. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, but, but the wrestler, I think, I mean, to me, that that's that's one of my favorites of his. Uh, but oh, I, I'm but not maybe surprised. I'm kind of predisposed <laughs> to love wrestling things, but, uh, but yeah, but yeah, just what a mother is such a trip. It's like, and I I do own it, but like I don't think I've really, um, you know, a lot of times I've you know, well documented on this, but I, I buy movies and sometimes don't watch it, but uh, I could uh, put it back in the player and give it another go. It was <laughs> one like I knew I wanted to own it because I want to be able to go to it whenever I want yeah. to. And he usually does, Aronofsky is usually pretty good with special features um, and things like that. So I want access to those, but it was never just like, let's put in Mother tonight. Let's, uh, <laughs> like, it's, 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 you got to plan for that one. Um, I did want to shout out though too. He's working with Matthew Libatique, uh, who yeah. is a longtime cinematographer of his, and the movie I think looks gorgeous in the in the way what it's doing. It's a very dark and rough movie, um, yeah. but I think it's also a testament because you're not shooting this in chronological like one take order. It's a it's a testament to I'll just highlight like Jennifer Lawrence. What a surprise! She's a hugely talented actress. Yeah. The, again, talking about female protagonists too, like the ringer that she goes through from the start of the movie to the end and she maintains momentum and like, you know, they're yelling cut, they're breaking for the day, they're coming back and she has to get back into that headspace and sell that level of intensity the next day. Like, I hope they had a counselor on set because um, <laughs> I, yeah. Um, and then also just real quick, uh, RIP, but Johan Johansson was um, one mm. of the guys that worked on sound for it. Apparently he did an entire score Gore, if I'm remembering this correctly, for it, um, that they worked with on a rough cut, and they were like, they went with like a very minimal thing. So I don't know how much of his score actually got used, but now I'm like, well, fuck, I gotta go find that that score. We have no more new scores, you know. R.I.P. Uh, Johansson is no longer with us, but um, he worked then with a sound designer because, like, if you just watch the trailer for it, and you'll hear like, oh, what, what is this? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Even the music kind of like turns the screws on your brain as you're watching it. It's it's kind of fascinating, but yeah. Well, so Mike, what is your what is your official uh, pick uh, for prestige horror? Yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, uh, Sam Neill shows up again here, and um, I think I couldn't think of any other, you know, of a movie that kind of defines this genre of prestige horror uh, than 1981's Possession. I've completed my job. That's why we want to rehire you. It's out of the question. And what would be the reason for your refusal? Family. (laughs) Maybe all couples go through this. You have someone. Yes. Do you sleep with him? When I'm away from you, I think of you as an animal or a woman possessed. And then I see you again, and all this disappears. You know, love isn't something you can just switch from channel to channel. Who is he? Oh, thank God. Possession. Oh, okay. I was going to write down my guess when you mentioned Sam Neill earlier. I was like, I yes. Think he's going for it. Could also be in a category of bonkers horror. Yes. I mean, I guess I could have said Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, you know, 
I think it that, that transcends a lot of different genres. But uh, but uh, Possession is um, this is a movie that I I uh, got to see um, at our um, beloved Cinematheque, and uh, boy, I mean, this one I'm still I'm still kind of thinking about it. Um, but, um, uh, you know, the basic story, uh, you know, it, it, it follows this relationship between Sam Neill's character and his wife. And, um, you know, she starts kind of, she starts exhibiting like so much, uh, you know, odd, odd behavior. Cause at first they seem very happy, you know, everything yeah. seems very copacetic and, and, you know, like there's like, there's some pretty racy love scenes in this movie. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, but then, you know, all of a sudden she, she asked for a divorce. And, uh, so then he, you know, Sam Neill hires somebody to, to kind of like a private detective to, mm-hmm. to watch over her. And, you know, they, it's like, it's kind of almost like with in the mouth of madness, like, you know, there's some of this kind of like what's happening in reality. What's, you know, what, what is exactly happening? And yeah. there is, there is some, there's some very disturbing scenes involving uh, the lead actress and uh, Isabel Ajani uh, is her name. And boy, I, you know, I know that, I mean, this, t- those type of movies, a lot of times were like snubbed by um, Oscar type people and, you know, awards, <laughs> awards type people. I think she might've been, I might be wrong here, but I think she might have, you know, for Cannes Film Festival, might have given her. Uh, oh yeah, she she won Best Actress for it. Okay, but, good. My God, um, she really like acts her her ass off in this yeah. movie, um, and you know, and Sam Neill's quite good in it too. Uh, but uh, you know, there there's one scene in particular where you know she is. Uh, you know, uh, there, there's kind of a, there's basically, uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to the most like humane way to say this, but you know, she's experiencing a miscarriage and you're seeing it unfold on the screen and she, you know, there's like bodily oozes everywhere and just the way how she's screaming and, and everything it's, it's not something that's like super enjoyable to watch. I'll, I'll be completely frank. Yeah, it is one of those things that um, when I saw it on the schedule, I was like, oh, man, I've never seen that. And it was the, uh, you know, there's the newest version is the uncut version, Mm -hmm. uh, which you can catch on. I believe it's on Mubi, um, which is like Mubi is like, I would say it's like Criterion Channel amped up to the the umpteenth degree of like film snobbery a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but manageable. Cause there's only so many titles at a time too. Yes. Yes. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying that as a disrespect to, to movie um, because they, they have really good tastes of course. Oh yeah. But, uh, this is, you know, I would say it's an experience to have. It's not something that I would watch with a big group. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not going to be something like when you, you have your friends over for horror movies uh, because man, it, it, it goes into some really dark places, but with just the filmmaking, the performances, uh, the sound design for, for the movie oh, yeah. is, is just quite, quite good. And I think that's why, you know, I, 
I just immediately thought this is this is the one that you know I should highlight for for this particular episode. I would uh, I would venture to guess that David Cronenberg's a big fan. Oh yeah, oh, this movie. yeah. Like it gave me Cronenberg. I know this is like um, you know nineteen eighty one, so he's already you know an act. Wait, was he an act? I can't remember when he started act, uh, being an active filmmaker, but it it gave In me the, that kind mid-70s, of mid seventies, I think. Okay, yeah. so yeah, he was around at this point. Yeah. It also, because you've got a husband-wife duo here, um, between Isabel Jani and Sam Neill, they're so great together that their exchanges as husband and wife ignore the you know, kind of like the horror genre context of it here. It's got the intensity of like a John Cassavetes relationship. Oh, yes. Because um, yes. they are just like passionate when they're passionate and they are fucking pissed off and angry when they are pissed yeah. off and angry. And it is rough, uh, but it's very raw. And you just, you get to see a psychological breakdown, but it's also like, well, what if that was happening? Not just because like somebody had an affair and somebody's upset. Like, what if we have some supernatural elements at play here as well? Yeah. Um, yes. And then we aren't, as the audience, we are not in the dark in the same way that some of the characters are. Yeah. I guess I'll put it that way. So that right. was even kind of fun to see how like the narrative plays with like what the audience knows versus certain characters and um, oof. Yeah. So Invite your friends over, double feature, possession and mother. <laughs> and then no one will talk and everyone will just leave and it'll be quiet. And um, you guarantee to have crying. nightmares. I might be crying at some point. Uh. Oh, that would be, that would be tough. That would be tough. Um, but it also, this one to me calls out for a rewatch, like not necessarily yearly, but I was like, I am. Cause I, once I, I saw it streaming somewhere last year, then I just bought it. Cause I was like, well, I will be revisiting uh, yeah. at some point. Yeah, it's a lot to take in, I think, on one's, one viewing. Um, I haven't revisited it yet again, but but I do plan to because I, I just was like, like I said, I mean, just really impressed with, with the filmmaking. And, you know, I think there's just a different style with European filmmakers who are, That's um, it too, yeah. they're not so afraid to go to certain things where, where we're probably there's more restraint with, with American filmmakers and, you know, even Cronenberg, you know, being a Canadian, you know, I, I, I really like wrestled with, you know, including one of his films. Like I was, I was thinking about dead ringers, like, cause I think that, oh, yeah. that is such like a, wow, that, that one is, it's so such a head trip, um, you know, and I think the, the full definition of prestige as well, you know, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, anyway, yeah, I'm, going on and on but uh, this, is, uh, this is a very interesting episode I, I it's worth it's worth going on, on about because that is a that is a crazy movie and it feels maybe a little underseen i don't know yeah point. i would sure. say but, so yeah how about you well i went pretty recent uh because this was one that i wanted to see i was looking at our list here real quick so we got okay so i was saying possession another uh, Isabel Jani, another lead actress being put through the ringer <laughs> um, yeah. in that one too. Um, this one isn't necessarily putting an actress through the ringer, but I think she anchors the movie in a spectacular way. Uh, I'm talking about the movie Lamb from 2021.
Kokulu. I may not always love you, but long as there are stars above you, you never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. Fire! Yeah. You give me the head nod. You've seen this one? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so in this case, we've got uh, Numi Rapace, um, who first, I think, hit most. Americans watching movies uh, radar with a girl, the dragon tattoo adaptations, uh, the original ones. So she anchors this one um, along with Himmler snare. Gornson. I I definitely (laughs) did not stick the landing on that last name. Um, They're an isolated couple um, who uh, are raised sheeps out in the Icelandic countryside. There is nobody else around. There's no one else around them. They are very isolated, but they also have like an amazing relationship. Like they, they work together real well. They're just, just very, very quiet, peaceful, simple existence. Um, they are kind of at the age where you'd wonder like, oh, did they, do they try having kids? Cause it seems like they would have kids now if they were going to, oh, maybe they're just like this quiet couple who didn't want that. They just want a quiet farming life. Um, maybe that will play into it at some point. I don't know. Um, so what got me to this one was the idea I mentioned with the witch, how there was like the idea of not just art house horror, art horror, or in our case, we're saying prestige horror, but within that sub sub genre, there's also a folk horror element, which yeah. is where this one comes up. It was on a lot of, um, those ones looking at like kind of current folk horror stuff like that. Actually Haxon too, I guess kind of has a folk horror element to it. Um, so this one's directed by, uh, Vladimir Johansson, uh, who is an Icelandic, uh, director. I don't know any of his other work. I've only seen this one. Um, yeah. He co-wrote the screenplay, so it's something that he clearly uh, wanted to say, wanted to do. I don't want to spoil too much of this movie because um, there is, by the time you watch the entire movie, there's stuff revealed where you're like, well, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, but one thing that I will reveal is that if you look at the poster, it's Nomi uh, Rapace um, holding a swaddled uh, lamb, title of the film. Uh, you just you know, see the head, the ears, normal looking lamb. But if you do watch the trailer, it's in the trailer. So I don't think this is too much of a spoiler. It's also not that far into the film that you realize one of the lambs, uh, one of the sheep that are on their farm that gives birth and you, you see it giving birth. It's all, it's all there, um, has a sheep head and one sheep arm. And then the rest is a human body. And you don't see it right away, but within the first 25, I think I clocked it at 27 minutes. Maybe you see, you're like, whoa, wait. And you know, something's up. You get a good 10, 15 minutes of just eeriness and their quiet existence. And you're like, well, something's up because I'm watching this, you know. Yeah. Horror, I mean, I don't have a horror movie, but I was like, it was an off. It was an <laughs> off kind of movie. So, yeah. And it's it's how they uh, both just side be like, well, we're going to raise this. This lamb. <laughs> There's no real discussion about it. They just do. Um, yeah. And they're great. Uh, their, their, their marriage seems pretty good. Um, There's even like you see kind of their existence in the first 10, 15 minutes. Then you see how it changes once they have their lamb baby um, <laughs> with, with, with them. And, you know, there's like a little, not like comically, but like there's a little bit more of a smile. There's a little more pep in the step kind of thing. Their sex life's a little bit better. Um, Cause like, they feel like, Oh, maybe like this is a family sort of thing going on. And then his brother um, you've got uh, Maria and Ingvar 
uh, and Ingvar's brother, Peter, um, ends up coming by kind of crack, not crashes, but like stops by and announced and is hanging out there. And they're just like, oh, well, she's not used to guests, but she's going to be here for breakfast. Here's you know, and you're like, and he's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and so he, he wrestles with it a little bit too, in an interesting way, um, that you're really not sure how this is going to go. I think that's about all you can say about it, right? Like if that's, yeah. if that's intriguing to you at all, uh, jump in. It's really interesting. I don't know. I would recommend it. It's obviously much lighter than possession or, or mother. Oh yes. Yes. No, th- cause there, yeah, you're right. There, there are a couple like comical moments, uh, kind of funny. Um, but yeah, that, that was one, it was kind of divisive. I, from what I remember, just like e- the audience that I was in when I watched it in a theater, it was yeah. like, there were some people who were like, I think I'm bored with it. Like, like me. Yeah. And there, I, you know, there were a couple, there was like this one couple in particular, they're like, you know, the, the, I think the, the female of the, of the couple was just like, you don't get to pick the movie for like two, two months or something. Oh, one of the, yeah. Like, <laughs> like she was just so like, not into it. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, what, what, what do you expect? <laughs> I could definitely see it going that way. I, so I, it hit me kind of a bit more like the folk horror is definitely there. And I loved, it's a lot of long takes. Yeah. It's just, you're just sitting in this environment with these people and their routine. Um, even like the, the ram, the, the, I don't know the animal name, the, the sheep, the ram, no, it has horns. It's a sheep. Sheep. That yeah. gave birth. So it's not a ram. The sheep that gave birth to the lamb, the human goat baby thing. Um, <laughs> hangs out outside their window where it's in a crib. So like it knows like, Hey, my baby, <laughs> my, my lamb um, is in there. So then it's like, Oh, mother versus mother nature. Like, it, I don't know. It sets up kind of interesting and it has just a very lyrical, great pace, great, great slow pace to it. But in the long run, I think I would want to have the word comedy floating around. Like I was laughing sure. at a, not like making fun of it, but just like, we're, di- Oh, we're, we're doing this. Yeah, okay. and I had a great time with it, but I feel like there it would play. I don't. Maybe I'm picturing like maybe like a horror marathon or something where like if you played this one in there, I feel like it could go comedic. Yeah, I, well, I think um, you know both you and I, of course, uh, you know, students of the Cleveland International Film Festival who are really big on Scandinavian films, or at least you know were yes. at, were at a yes. time. You know, this, when, when I saw this, I was just like, yes, you know, it it was like, it's like a comfort blanket, you know, cause uh, those Scandinavian films are tend to be pretty weird and, but funny and dark and, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that you feel when you watch movies from those, those country, um, you know, I just, I wish I spoke more so I can like listen to why, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when they, they give interviews or something, you know, but yeah. I and, think there, yeah, there's one, um, I don't think, I think it was Danish or Sweden called border from a few years back mm-hmm. that plays with some, yeah, I, I, I kept thinking of that film and, and it didn't feel off because I knew it was coming from Iceland specifically. Yeah. Uh, Scandinavian in general, general, where I was like, I'm right, taking a swing here. I, I'm going to go with it. And again, I wasn't laughing cause I thought it was bad or, 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 or dumb or anything, but it was just like, some of it was even laughing, just like, wow, they're, they are really selling this. Like, and I was buying like it, this, this one's working for me. 
I mean, it's probably a larger conversation, but I think there's something to do when you have a healthy funding, public funding of the arts, you can, you can be a little bit more audacious and really push some boundaries here and there without worrying about, am I going to make back all this money or is Marvel going to fire me and never let me direct a movie again? But, um, but yeah, I, I, it's, I would definitely say recommend, I'd say throw it in your rotation because it's a different kind of horror. It's like an art folk horror light comedy maybe um in the mix but it's it's there's something else i wanted to make oh uh what are the producers uh bellatar oh wow Uh, it it is really kind of fascinating i don't think of him as a contemporary like producer getting movies made but like he was on there and i was like it kind of has some of those like bellatar patented like long takes where just let you sit with it and it moves all around the property and it's like all right yeah yeah, uh, i like it yeah well, I, I, yeah, I definitely think it's a good one. Uh, yeah. So our official watch challenge picks for Prestige Horror are Possession from 1981 and Lamb from 2021. Aaron, what challenge do we have in front of us for next time? Well, in the life of the podcast, we've done a few different horror genres. Uh, obviously, you just heard Prestige Horror. Previously, we've done like zombie movies. We've done J-horror. We've done Giallo. Um, female directed horror, I think we did at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I was trying to think like other one, other subjects to do or whatever. I was like, wait a minute, we're both fans of the the horror marathons. In fact, you know, we we are going to the local one here in a few weeks. So I thought, how would we do that? We're gonna kind of go back to the when we did our, our drive-in movie day episode in June, and we programmed a drive-in double feature. We're each gonna program a horror marathon and uh, reveal our picks to the other one. We're gonna do. Would we decide for each? Yeah, for each. I think so. for each. Yeah. So we're gonna do for each. Uh, Tis the season. Um, so that way we can also cover a few different genres at a time. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what you program, Mike. Absolutely. Same to, same to you. If you'd like to suggest a topic or genre that you like covering on a future show, hit us up on Instagram at Watch Challenge Podcast or uh, email us at watchchallengepodcast at gmail.com or the links in the show notes. Beat folks. And until next time, rate and review the show in whatever podcast app you are using. And we'll see you with our next challenge. Mm-hmm.